All right, as Brian said, we are in part five of our study of the book of Philippians. And since we've been slowing down, typically we would do one chapter a week and we're slowing down doing two chapters a week, extending it out just a little bit and helping us dig a little deeper into what we're learning. Since we've been doing that over the past month, I need your help this morning from those of you who've been a part of this. And it's gonna be kind of like a pop quiz, okay? So this is where I need you to participate out loud with me. We're going to test your memory. And we're also going to help people that are new with us, either new on campus or new online, that aren't exactly sure what this series is all about. So I've got some questions. I would like some of you to answer these questions out loud. So question number one is this. Who wrote this letter called Philippians? Paul. Anybody want to add anything else to that for an extra point? Hey, that's good. That's great. So extra point later, maybe. So (laughs) tied to who actually wrote this, if you said Timothy, Paul and Timothy, you would get an extra point for that because Timothy actually helped Paul write this. Okay, so next question. Uh, Who did Paul write this letter to specifically? The church in Philippi. Now, next question. Who made up the church in Philippi? A lady. Yes, there was a lady. There were multiple women in that church, but there was a specific lady who was a a prominent business owner. Her name was Lydia. Lydia, Yes. All right. And her household, which could have meant her employees as well as her family. And who else? Prisoners, Prisoners, possibly prisoners. It was specifically tied to somebody we saw Paul lead to Christ. Somebody said something up here. Prison guards, who's the jailer. The jailer is who Paul led his whole family to Christ, which could have also involved the prisoners. Anybody else? Now, this one, we don't have clear uh, evidence in scripture for this, but there's a good chance that this woman was a part of this. The demon-possessed girl. Okay? So, if someone cast a demon out of you and freed you, would you be interested in what they had to say? So there's a really good chance that she was a part of that. Okay, um, next question. Uh, where was Paul when he wrote this letter? He was in prison. Why was he in prison? I think that's the next question. Yeah, why was he in prison? For telling people about Jesus. Got arrested, thrown in prison because he wanted people to understand that they could have eternal life through a relationship with Jesus. He was starting new churches and he was thrown in prison for that. I, I don't think that we have any more questions there, but one more. Um, about what time frame was this letter written? 60, 61, you got it, 61 AD, right around that time frame. So way to go, you guys. All right, we're gonna continue on with a few more questions. This one's gonna be fill in the blank, okay? So test yourself on this, all right? So these are some of the things that we've been learning from Paul. Paul taught us this. When God starts a good work within us, he will, what that word? Finish that word, great. Next one, our current circumstances are not as important as how we... Respond to those circumstances. Good job. Third one, in order to live for God, we have to learn how to live with God. Great. Our attendance is is dropping. Our participation is dropping. Uh, Our Christian responsibilities are more important than our rights. We must have the same attitude. Three of you uh, said said that one. Either because... uh, that is really challenging to have Christ's attitude or you weren't really sure, which is really okay. All right, next one. We should do everything without 
Whining would be acceptable. Uh, Complaining and arguing. And last week, I gave you this big homework assignment of trying to spend the entire week without complaining or arguing. How many of you made it all week long? I didn't argue. You you didn't argue. You got part of it. Part of it. That's great. So, So one person. Did you talk to anybody this past week, Phil? I'm just saying, like, you know what? If you don't talk to anybody, maybe you can pull, pull that one off. Uh, how many of you made it half of a week? Okay. How many of you made it to the parking lot? Okay. More of us made it to the parking lot. So Paul says, listen, if you don't complain, if you don't argue, you actually stand out. People recognize there's something different about you. It's actually a way that we can shine brightly for Jesus. And so I I would say for me, that's something I got to keep working on, something I think all of us have to keep working on. Okay, now we're going to start in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Paul's going to drive us back to one of the things that we've already learned so far. And he says this, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. So he takes us back to the main thought that he's been reinforcing over and over again. And and that is our current circumstances are not as important as how we respond to those circumstances. So Paul drives that in again and he says, whatever happens, whatever happens, if things are going really well for you, rejoice. If things aren't going well for you, rejoice. If a virus comes and affects the whole world, rejoice. If our economy screeches to a halt, rejoice. Paul says, whatever happens, whatever happens, rejoice. Now, rejoicing is a very challenging thing to do, especially in in moments of struggle. We love to rejoice when things are going well, but when things aren't going well, rejoicing is really hard. And Paul goes on to explain why rejoicing is so important. He says, in verse one, he says, whatever happens to your brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. And I never get tired of telling you these things. And I do it to safeguard your faith. So Paul is suggesting to us, more than suggesting, Paul is saying to us that rejoicing has the ability to protect our faith. I think that's a powerful thing that rejoicing can do for us. And here's how I think it works. When we are rejoicing, our eyes are on the one who is above our circumstances. It's kind of like when the apostle Peter walked on water with Jesus. If you're not familiar with that story, uh, scripture actually teaches that that one day Jesus was walking to his disciples. They were in the middle of uh, of the Sea of Galilee and there was a a storm going on. There were waves going all over the place and Peter saw Jesus and got out of the boat and walked to him. And while Peter was looking at Jesus, he walked above his circumstances. The moment he looked away from Jesus, he sunk into his circumstances So rejoicing has the ability to keep us above our circumstances and to protect our faith. And that's why Paul says rejoicing is such a powerful thing. So are you practicing the spiritual discipline of rejoicing? If not, we have a lot of opportunities around us today to practice that. And so I'd like to practice this morning for just a few minutes together with you. So if you would, just speak out loud. What are some of the things that you or we can rejoice about 
We're alive. That's something to celebrate. We're meeting again. Again, that's fantastic. I love that. Somebody said something over here. Our health, salvation is worth rejoicing over. Ah, so you remember when I told you earlier, maybe bonus points later. There you go. There's your bonus points right there. <laughs> He's got some flowers for you as well, possibly. Anything else? What can we rejoice about? Being redeemed. redeemed, School starting. Having to work from home. Jesus is with us. No matter what we go through, Jesus is with us. We've got all kinds of things that we can rejoice about, and I encourage you to practice that. Maybe today at lunch, just practice rejoicing. If you're eating by yourself, just spend some time talking to God about that. If you're eating with somebody else, just spend some time just talking about the things that we can rejoice and see how big of a list that you can get over the things that we can rejoice over. Because when we rejoice, it protects our faith. It helps us to rise above the circumstances that want to pull us down into them. Now, Paul shifts a little bit in chapter two, or actually verse two. He says this, he says, watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say that you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. So without getting into the awkward conversation about circumcision, the the bottom line of what was happening in Paul's day was there were people who said that belief in Jesus is not enough to have salvation. You have to add something to it. And for them, they were saying that men had to be circumcised. Now, we are still wrestling with that same stuff today. There are still people today who say that the belief in Jesus is still not enough for salvation, that you have to have belief plus, belief plus really good works. You got to be a really good person or belief plus you got to know a whole lot about the Bible or belief plus uh, you have to be baptized in order to be saved. Or there's actually people that teach that you have to have belief plus the ability to speak in tongues. And if you don't speak in tongues, then you're not really saved. And if you don't know what speak in tongues, it has more, it's not just involving kissing, okay? So it's, it's a, thanks for laughing, it's a part, partial joke there. The bottom line is there's still people today that say that you have to have belief plus something. But we learned last week that salvation is a gift to us from God based upon what God has done for us, not based upon anything that we have done. And we receive salvation by putting our faith in Christ alone, period. We can't add anything to it in order for us to receive this amazing gift of salvation. Now, you might think, and there might be people who wonder, I actually know people who who believe this, that because they have faith in Christ, they can live any way they want. We learned last week, that's not true. We can't live any way we want if we really understand what Christ has done for us and the amazing gift and the price that God has paid to give us this gift, then we won't live any way we want. We'll learn to live in response to what God has done for us. That doesn't mean we'll be perfect. It just means we'll live in response to God's amazing gift of salvation. Paul continues to explain this. In verse three, 
He says, we put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. And then I want you to listen to how Paul reads his resume to the Philippians. So in verse 5, he says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old, which is an Old Testament mandate from God. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. In our context, that would be kind of like saying, I'm such an American patriot, you cut me and I bleed red, white, and blue. That's kind of what Paul was saying there. He continues and he says, I was a member of the Pharisees, which was one of the religious leaders, the groups in Paul's day where there were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the Pharisees, as Paul continues to explain, are the ones who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Now, for us, that may not be all that impressive of a resume. But in Paul's day, that was really impressive. So if you think of any career that that there is out there, career that you have, career that you want, and you think of the pinnacle of that career, like the top position in that career, we're talking about Paul. Paul was right up there near the top. But listen to what Paul says about all of his accomplishments, about all of his achievements. In verse 7, he said, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them. What's that next word? Worthless. I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Can you imagine saying that about your education? Can you imagine saying that about your experiences, that maybe something that you've worked years to attain? Can you imagine saying, you know what? I consider that worthless. That's what Paul considered his resume to be. Again, Paul says we cannot add anything to salvation because it makes it about us. It's never about us. It's always about Jesus. Verse 80 continues. He says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with him depends on faith. So big statement from Paul. The stuff that he's worked so hard to attain, the stuff that he's worked so hard to achieve, says, you know what? It's really worthless. It's really kind of like garbage. So I want to just take a moment and have us brainstorm out loud some of the things that our world thinks is so important, and yet when compared with Christ, it's just not that important. It's really kind of worthless. So what are some of the things that that people cling to thinking it's so valuable? Money, job, technology, status, zip code, yeah, where you live. What was that? Was that books? Books. Books. Looks. Books. Looks. Yeah, change a letter and it's a whole new thing. (laughs) 
Yeah, so looks. Yep, nice new car. So possessions, popularity, power, position, all kinds of stuff. So let's go a little bit deeper. What are some of the things that you have clung to or what are some of the things that you do cling to right now that really, when compared to what Christ has done, is worthless? Ego. Ego. It's a little bit harder to identify those things, isn't it? You know, when we're talking about those people out there, it's easy to throw that out. Okay, unhealthy relationships. Kind of putting a relationship at an improper place. Politics? Politics? Yeah. False righteousness? False righteousness? Pride. Pride? It's great. So we all wrestle with things. There, there are things that we all think are important that Paul would say, you know, that's really worthless. It, it, it doesn't even compare to what Christ has done. So let me tell you about a few of mine. Um, for those of you who don't know me, there are two things I've never wanted to do in my life. Number one is work at a church. Number two is be a pastor. Okay? So I've never wanted to do either one of those things. And it, and it wasn't in my life that I never thought I would. Like, wow, that's surprising. I can't believe that I'm actually doing that. No, I never wanted to do that. You see, I grew up around the church. And uh, my dad and my mom were very involved in the church. And there were some things I saw in church world that were weird. And I thought, you know, I don't want to really be involved in that. And here's one of the reasons I didn't want to be involved in that. And I didn't want to be a pastor was because I didn't think it was all that important. I didn't think it was all that impressive. And for many years in my life, I have clung to impressing people. I've wanted to be an impressive person. I want people to think, wow, he's really impressive. Wow, he's really good at what he does. Wow, look at what he's achieved. Wow, look at the letters behind his name. So those are some of the things that I have clung to in my life. And a reason why I didn't want to be a pastor. I I didn't want to work at a church. And for many years, I never wanted anybody to ask me what I did for a living. This year marks 20 years being in full-time vocational ministry. Can you imagine trying to dodge that question for like much of 20 years? That's a challenge. That's really hard. So I had a neighbor one time ask me, uh, hey, what do you do? The, the common get-to-know-you kind of question when you're getting to know one of your neighbors. And I told my neighbor everything I used to do, everything I thought was so valuable and important and impressive. And uh, a few minutes later, he said, that's interesting. So what do you do now? And uh, I kind of mumbled under my breath, I'm a pastor. Conversation changed. Oh. If you ever want to like end a conversation with somebody, just tell them you're a pastor. Like if you get into politics, it's getting really hot and, and you know, people are arguing and you just want to end it, just say, hey, I'm a pastor. Why don't you know that? That'll end almost every conversation out there. And so I just didn't want to identify myself as a pastor because I didn't think it was all that impressive. I didn't think it was all that important. On another occasion, not related to being a pastor, I have some experience in my life that I thought was important in this one setting. I was trying to impress someone. So we got in this conversation, and I thought, man, let me just tell them my experiences with all this stuff and you know, kind of pat myself on the back. And so I gave them my resume. 
And uh, that person then gave me their resume. Their resume so far exceeded my resume. It was obvious to both them and me that I was trying to impress them with something that was really worthless. We all have something that we cling to. We all have something we think is important. And Paul says, you know, all that stuff that you think is so important that makes you feel so valuable in life, if it has nothing to do with Christ, it's worthless. It's worthless compared to Christ's resume. So let's remind ourselves of Christ's resume, what he has done. Paul told us this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. He says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. There is nothing that you and I could ever do that would even come close to what Christ has done for us. So let's stop trying. Let's stop clinging to things that we think that are important and yet they're really just worthless. Let's cling to Christ who brings all value and significance to us through what he's done for us. Okay. You ready for... Verse 10, maybe not. Maybe we should just stop there. Maybe I should just pray and we should be over. All right, this is where it gets a little harder. Verse 10, Paul says something that we all want, and then he says something that none of us want. He says this, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Doesn't that sound exciting? I mean, it sounds exciting to me to experience the mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead. When, when Paul's asking, like, who wants in on that? I go, I do. Then he goes, but wait, let me finish the sentence. He says, I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Now, I read some of Paul's writings, and I wonder, who in the world is this guy? I mean, a few weeks ago, he challenged us to have Christ's attitude. That was hard enough. Last week, he challenged us to not complain or argue. That was challenging. And then he says today, listen, uh, if you really want to be a follower of Jesus, you should want to suffer and die with Christ. Anybody want to suffer and share in Christ's death? Not really. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I want the rewards for doing that. I want the diploma. But I don't want to go through the coursework. I want somebody to you know, put a, a uh, trophy around my neck for running a marathon that I never ran. That's what I want. But Paul challenges us with this statement. He challenges us. He says, listen, if you're really going to be a follower of Jesus, you've got to give up this whole notion of being a fan of Jesus. You can't be a fan of Jesus and a true follower of his. That was a big problem in Paul's day. It's a big problem in our day. In Paul's day, when Christ was alive, people loved being around Jesus, especially when he was healing them. He was performing miracles, making their lives better. They loved it. And then when following Jesus got hard, many of them walked away. They stopped following. Why? Why? Because they were only fans 
only fans of Jesus. In Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? It's one thing to be a fan of Jesus. Wear the Jesus t-shirt. Wear the Jesus jewelry. It's another thing to be a follower of Jesus and really follow him when it gets difficult, when it gets challenging. And following Jesus always involves death and suffering. Always. There's always something we need to die to. There's always some sort of suffering that we're going to experience in our lives. So what might we suffer? Like what ways might we suffer as we follow Jesus? It might look like people making fun of you because you're a follower of Jesus. It might look like uh, friends or coworkers saying like, are you crazy? Are you still reading the Bible? Are you still praying? Are you still going to church, trying to apply that to your life? That's so old-fashioned and outdated. It might look like you losing a friend. It might look like someone you date or you're interested in dating when they find out that you're trying to hold on to your, your sexual purity until you're married. They think you're crazy and ending the relationship. It might look like somebody not wanting to do business with you because you're a follower of Jesus. There's all kinds of ways that we might suffer for Christ. How might we die for Christ and and share in his death? It certainly involves dying to our will and living for God's will. In addition to that, it might involve dying to our desires to live for God's desires. It's going to involve something difficult. It's going to involve something challenging. It's going to involve things that we're not naturally good at because we focus on us. And Paul says, if you want to experience the power that raised Jesus from the dead, the pathway to experience that is through suffering. It's through sharing in Christ's death. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning just to hear a message about death and suffering? Again, the Apostle Paul, he doesn't hold anything back. He says, listen, Church of Philippi says, listen, Church of Epic in Flagler County, if you really want to be a follower of Jesus, you got to give up this notion of being a fan of his you got to really be willing to suffer and share in his death so that you can experience his power. So as we close, I have another homework assignment for those who choose to engage it, okay? And it involves a prayer. This is the prayer that I would like you to pray all week long, every day. Pray this. God, I want to know you and experience the mighty power of your resurrection. God, I also want to suffer with you and share in your death so that I can shine brightly for others to see what you have done for them.
I encourage you to pray that prayer or a prayer similar to that every day this week and just be aware of what God wants to do in you and through you and how he could use a perspective like that to help you shine brightly in a dark world where people desperately need to see Jesus. If you would, stand with me. I'm going to pray, and then our worship team is going to close us in a final song. And this song focuses in on what Jesus has done for us. It focuses in on his resume. So as we close, let's rejoice about what God has done. Remember, all of life is about him. It's not about us. So let's pray together. God, today through Paul, you have taken the gloves off and you've spoken some really challenging truth into our lives. And Lord, uh, you've given us a way for us to protect our faith and that's through rejoicing. You've reminded us that salvation is about belief in Jesus, not about doing a bunch of good, right things, even though, Lord, there's nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves, but they don't give us salvation. Salvation comes when we believe in what Jesus has done for us. And then you've really challenged us to not be fans of Jesus, to not just cheer Jesus on when things are going well, when we experience your favor in our lives, when we experience your mighty power, but that we would be willing to suffer and share in your death so others might see you in us. Lord, that's a, a real challenge there for us to even want to do that. Lord, I pray that, that you would just continue to speak to our hearts. And Lord, I pray that that we would make some declarations today. Declarations that, yes, I want to experience your power, but I know that it may come through suffering and death, and I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to die to my will to live to your will. I'm, I'm willing to die to my desires to live for your desires. Lord, help us to identify the things that we cling to that we think are so important and yet aren't. Yeah, let us cling to you and you alone. In Jesus' name.